0: What's up, soccer fans? Welcome to the Soccer Brothers Podcast. I'm your host, Sal Qatar, and I'm usually joined by my brother, Nihal, but unfortunately, he's a little under the weather, so I'll be taking this one by myself. It's not as fun to do it by myself. I had to do it a lot in 2017 because of Nihal's job, but either way, I have some really exciting soccer to talk about today, and um, I'm really excited to get into it. Uh, three awesome games happened on Saturday. We had the Derby della Capitale between Roma and Lazio, um, that's one of the biggest derbies in the entire world, one of the most intense derbies. It means everything to the fans in Rome. We had Chelsea host Liverpool later that day in a game that was critical to the Premier League table. And then, even later that day, we had Real Madrid host Atletico Madrid in the Bernabeu in the Madrid derby. So, three really cool games. Um, we I'll have timestamps below if you want to skip to one, but um, I'm going to be talking about Roma Lazio first. Um, that happened at 9 a.m. Saturday eastern time at least yeah at 9 a.m i mean you know you could be listening to this wherever but 9 a.m eastern time i don't even live in eastern time anymore to be honest um i'm in college now but i um i'm just used to looking at things like that so um i always call football games the one o'clock games and the four o'clock games but it's really the 12 o'clock games and the three o'clock games anyways random tangent um roma and Lazio. um just such an intense, intense rivalry. I mean, there's so much security on Derby Day. There's been so many incidents of violence in the past. There's such a hatred between these two clubs, particularly in the city. I mean, I am a Roma fan, but I don't think that I truly get the Derby as much as many fans do. I do not like Lazio. There's a lot of hate about the ownership. There's a lot of hate about the fans. There's a lot of hate about that, that um, their awful jerseys and their colors, and I just don't think they're a likable team at all. But, um, there's, yeah, there's been a lot of, like, uh, incidents of, like, racism and sexism within their fan base. Now, obviously, you're free to support Lazio if you support Lazio, which I know not many people do in the U.S. I, that's totally okay. But um, there's just been some sketchy stuff happen, uh in the Lazio fan base, and I'm not a fan of it. And it makes me hate them more. And basically what I'm trying to say is that this is a huge game. It wasn't even the biggest game in terms of the table over the weekend. Juventus hosted Napoli and um actually i th- yeah th- i think it was juventus hosting napoli yeah it was in it was in juventus stadium and that was the bigger game in terms of the table but roma lazio definitely had more intensity definitely the fans cared more about this one and um it was a great game i really enjoyed it um i'm going to go over some of the key events that happened throughout the game and then i can talk a little bit about um what my thoughts were on the entire game so going into this game um Roma was in a pretty bad run of form. Lazio had had a decent start. They um, weren't so good against stronger opposition to start the Serie A season, but against the weaker teams, they were able to take care of business and do it handily. So Lazio was sitting in that top 5-6 area going into this game, and Roma still in the bottom half, still trying to recover from that slump that they've been, been experiencing since August. So um, that's what it meant in terms of the table going into this game. But as I said a lot more to it. In the 37th minute though, up until this, there were pretty good chances for both sides. Um, Pastore, who has been kind of a focal point in the Roma attack, was subbed off. Um, He was playing that attacking midfield role in a 4-2-3-1, and Lorenzo Pellegrini came on for him, um, who turned out to be my man of the match, but I'll get into that later. Uh, 45th minute, first goal, Dzeko Edin Dzeko, the Bosnian, receives a ball plate over the top, heads it towards the path of the Italian El Sharawi, who kind of collides with the Lazio keepers. Strakosha, there's a lot of mess going on in the box. Just, It's just kind of a big uh, cluster, you know what. And uh, uh, Pellegrini, though, is there. He has the awareness to really have an amazing shot on goal. It's a backheel. He never even gets a good look at the goal or sees where the Lazio defenders are. But just cool, calm, collected. He has that back heel finish. And the funny part is, is that I think in the past week, or maybe two weeks, um, there's been three back heels for Roma, two by Pastore, and one by Pellegrini today, or yesterday, uh, at the time that I'm recording this. So really weird stuff, but I, it's entertaining for me to watch. So um, then the second half started uh, in the 67th minute. Just an awful, awful mistake from the Argentine defender Federico Fazio for Roma. Um, Chiro Mobile, the Italian striker, very seasoned uh, really a, a great player, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get into him later, is able to take the ball from Federico Fazio inside Roma's half and score with a composed finish. Really, um, the angle really wasn't favoring him too much past Olsen, but he was still able to finish it in a really nice way. And that's his fourth of the season. So Immobile off to a good start uh, in his Serie A campaign. Uh, in, the 71, in the 71st excuse me, minute, Pellegrini, uh, as I said before, the Italian midfielder who came on, Gets brought down just outside the box and then that gives a free kick to Roma and Alexander Kolarov has a really nice free kick surprising Strakosha and beating him on the side he was supposed to be standing on. So he caught him cheating a little bit. Strakosha was standing too far in the middle and too far centrally and Kolarov just punished him. And finally Roma's up 2-1 so they retake the lead. And then the 86th minute There's another set-piece goal. This time, it's Lorenzo Pellegrini in the delivery, who plays a perfect ball into Fazio, who heads it home, making up for his error on Lazio's goal, the one that Immobile scored. So, Roma ends up winning it 3-1, and um, I thought this was a pretty exciting game. Now, um, we won 3-1, and yes, it was a two-goal win, but I think there were a lot of chances on both sides. I do think Roma was the stronger team, but I think Immobile was actually pretty threatening. I think he had a few... Really good chances, especially in the first half. Um, But he was caught offside a lot. I think Roma played the offside trap really well. Um, And I think a lot... But I think the biggest point for Lazio as a team with that 3-5-2 formation that they play is all about that physicality in the midfield. They're able to win the ball back really quickly. They've got a very strong midfield. they got Lucas Lueva. They've got Parolo, Milinkovic, Savic, one of the best young midfielders in the world. And um, and then Lulic and Marusic on the sides, or on the wings. Um, really just a strong midfield. Kind of dirty sometimes, but really chippy. And that's what this game turned out to be um, as it went on. Obviously, there's going to be a little bit of skirmishes between these two sides and a little bit of fight fighting, but nothing got too out of hand. But um, yeah, and I think that was something really that Roma had to cope with. And they really did so. And in Eusebio DiFrancesco's Francesco's approach, the Roma uh, manager... I think he went about it right because he chose to play Nzonzi and De Rossi in that two-man midfield, um, if you want to consider it, I mean, a two-man midfield. You, you had that attacking midfielder in Bastoria or Pellegrini. But Nzonzi and De Rossi, really the core. Those guys are very capable defensively, and I think they, they showed up big time today, um, helping win some aerial duels, some midfielding duels, and really really did a good, a good job. Helped keep a nice tempo for Roma. Um I think um, Pellegrini is the man of the match. Pellegrini not only had the first goal and had the assist on the third goal, but he also drew the free kick that led to the second goal. So um, Lorenzo Pellegrini, definitely um, a player who's been disappointing in a Roma shirt over his tenure. But um, a lot of fans, yeah, have been disappointed in him since he came from Sassuolo. um, And I think a lot of the reason that he might still be on the team is because of Eusebio Di Francesco. our coach, uh, who came from Sassuolo. So, um, but he definitely impressed tonight. He definitely impressed. And I always saw something in him. I always thought that he had some, some good talent and he showed it at Sassuolo and he's finally starting to show up. So that was really cool to see. Um, I think this game was also just very, very important for Roma's confidence level because, Roma, coming into this game, hadn't got back-to-back wins in the league. We only had one win, and that was the first game of the Serie A season, and it was 1-0, and we had to barely scrape by with a uh, Dzeko world-class volley past Torino. And tonight, though, we got our second w- our, our second straight win uh, after beating Frosinone midweek. So this is important. I think that Eusebio Di Francesco using the 4-2-3-1 has been very very effective, um, and really brings out the best in players like Pastore, who does better in um, that attacking midfield role than he does in a, in a central midfield role. So I know I'm talking about this a lot from Roma's perspective, because I'm a Roma fan. But um, yeah, I mean, this game was really interesting to see. I thought um, I thought the Lazio defenders were pretty, pretty good overall. I mean, I don't think there was any big mistakes. I think a lot of the good play from Roma, came on really good through balls, really good passes, and just nice link-ups. So I I think, I don't think there are any huge errors. I think the biggest error defensively that came was Federico Fazio, and he made up for it, like I said, with that third goal. So overall, I mean, I can't say that there are too many negative performances in this game. I think Milinkovic-Savic, while he didn't wasn't as impressive as a Lazio fan wanted him to be on the ball. He was still really good in winning some of those midfield battles. So I, I think that one of the most, like, disappointing players, I guess I could say, was Edin Dzeko, who, even though he was the striker, it was clear they weren't playing him today. They weren't playing for him, rather. Um, he wasn't the focal point of the attack. I think um, I think Pastore and Florenzi and El-Sharawi in that... Um, midfield, Trident up top, was really more involved in the attack than Jekko was at certain points. And Jekko, yeah, he did, really didn't look that good. I'm a big fan of Ed and Dzeko, but uh, his body language is bad. He was kind of yelling at some of his teammates. I um, wasn't really a big fan of his whole deal and his whole drama in that uh, it was like watching a soap opera at certain times for Ed and Dzeko. So I understand that he's got the skill to back a lot of that stuff up, but it doesn't excuse it. And um yeah. I I really enjoyed this game. I don't want to get, you know, too caught up in some of the individual performances for Roma, but um I thought that this was uh a very exciting game and a reason that I hopefully a lot more American fans start watching Serie A because I think since Ronaldo went to Italy, um who's also amid some rape allegations right now and I, I won't get into that, but uh Definitely a bit, uh, a bit worrisome, but uh, either way, <laughs> that transfer did uh, shift a lot of attention to Serie A um, in the States, so I think it's good that ESPN uh, has rights to these games, and I-, I think ESPN Plus is a very good deal for watching Serie A. I think it's uh, 50 bucks a year, so if you're interested at all... In Watching Serie A, I would definitely recommend getting that the streams are really nice I think generally they have nice commentary during the games. Um, now Probably for the lower level games. They wouldn't really have much commentary um, But for these matches for your Roma's for your Inter Milan's your Milan's your Napoli's your Juventus, there's gonna be pretty good commentary, so um, If you're interested in checking out Serie A, yeah ESPN plus is a great package. Um, Great game, 3-1, really important for Roma, and I hope they can take that momentum going into their midweek Champions League fixture. All right, moving on. Chelsea played Liverpool Saturday at 12.30 Eastern time at Stamford Bridge, obviously a very critical game for the Premier League table. Going into this game, Man City had 19 points at the top of the table after having just beaten Brighton. And then in second place was Liverpool with 18 points, and in third place was Chelsea with 16 points. So obviously a very critical game and a game that both of these teams are going to remember in a few months, for better or for worse. And um, interestingly enough, both of these teams played each other midweek in the League Cup. Chelsea ended up winning 2-1 in Anfield after an end Hazard wonder goal in the 85th minute um, led them to victory, and it was just a fantastic goal. Um not only the shot, but Hazard's dribbling around the Liverpool defense. When I first saw the replay, I thought it was in—I thought it was being sped up. I thought it was in fast motion, but as a matter of fact, he just made it look so quick with the speed at which he dribbled past defenders, and which and 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 with the strike, which was just a laser. Allison had no chance on that one. So, um, really, really, really good. Stuff from Edna Hazard and Chelsea to come away with that win, but obviously the Premier League is a more pressing competition, and both teams are going to care more about where they stand at the end of that, at the end of the at the end of the League Cup. So Liverpool have a chance for redemption here. They have a chance to get back at the team that just beat them midweek, and they have the chance to climb over Manchester City. And obviously they have that front three of Mane, Salah, and Firmino, who were just so electric last season and are still doing well this season. Obviously, Mohamed Salah hasn't gotten off to the kind of start that he wanted and definitely showed in this game, but overall, just a very, very solid attack. Up front for Chelsea, you had Giroud, you had Willian, and, of course, Eden Hazard. Both midfields were very strong, but I prefer Chelsea's midfield. Man, Chelsea's midfield. Jorginho, particularly, the deep-lying playmaker that Maurizio Sarri brought from Napoli, is just really, really fun to watch. Really capable of playing long balls from deeper positions. Really has a great spatial sense for the game. High IQ. Really fun player to watch. Um, So both of these teams obviously are just very talented. Both of them I thought had strong windows, transfer windows. And I think after watching this game, I just realized that the Premier League has a lot of talent. Like these two teams probably, in my opinion, aren't even the best teams but they just have so much talent, and it's not just because of the money, because the TV money has been coming in for a few years now. But I think right now, these sides are stronger than they were years ago, for sure. Um, so, really, just I was just really impressed, and it's one of the reasons that I had so much fun watching this game. So, I am um, going to talk about my overall thoughts um, about the game after I get to the goals, so why don't we just get right into that, so, um, in the 25th minute, uh, Kovacic assisted a Hazard goal, but it wasn't that simple, Hazard had a quick pass and run to Kovacic, and Kovacic passed it to Jorginho, who just did a nice one-touchback to Kovacic, who played it upfield to Hazard, a long through ball on the ground, but it was really, really, really well-placed and had a lot of pace on it, and Hazard was just able to beat the Liverpool defense, beat the offside line, and finish it past Allison. and Hazard just looks so good this season, really just about as good as he's ever looked, and um, it was a great finish. I mean, Allison didn't... I mean, he arguably, you know, could have made the save, but I thought it was just a really good finish by Hazard. He got the angling almost really perfect, and this... This goal was really indicative of a lot that I have to say about this Chelsea side. So I'll I'll get back to that in a bit. But in the second half, it it looks like Chelsea is the stronger side. It looks like Liverpool is not going to come away with anything in Chelsea. And Liverpool is going to be embarrassed. Not embarrassed, but it's sort of embarrassing to lose twice to the same team twice in a week. So yeah, Liverpool is afraid of getting embarrassed. But in the 89th minute, Daniel Sturridge, who had come on as a substitute in the game... Just had one of the best shots that I saw all weekend. Um, I thought this had a Chelsea win written all over it um, in the second half. But he's well outside the area, but he just has this beautiful left-footed shot into the top right point- corner past Kepa, and he had no chance, Kepa, because this this shot had everything. This had dip, curl, power. It had everything you could want, and it's one of the better shots you'll ever see. Kepa wasn't necessarily out of position, but wow. Wow. Wow, he wasn't out of position, Capu. But there's nothing you could do. There's nothing he could do. Sturridge just had a great shot, and I I'm happy that he has four goals this season because his injury woes have really gotten in the way of his career. Hasn't really looked as good as he looked that 13-14 season for Liverpool with uh, Sterling and Suarez accompanying him. But he's he's had a couple key goals this season. Um, particularly I th- yeah I, that one against PSG in the Champions League. Um, was huge, so I'm I'm happy for him, I'm really happy for him but then the game ended as a 1-1 draw Klopp and uh, sorry, just are smiling as they end the game and I think that says a lot when they're shaking hands Um, they both enjoyed it and they probably enjoyed it just as much as I did at least from some perspective so I thought that was really cool to see both having smiles on their faces Um, yeah, just really fun stuff Um, So my first thoughts on this game, I thought Chelsea controlled most of the second half. The first half was a little bit more even, but maybe I'd give Liverpool the slight edge in terms of quality chances. Um, But yeah, so I guess overall, I would say Chelsea had the control over most of the course of the game. I thought Liverpool had some nice chances in the first half. They had two goal line clearances, Chelsea did, uh, David Luiz and Rudiger. So Cape was beat twice, but still... Um, they weren't able to finish at times. I remember particularly Salah beat Kepa for one of them, and Rudiger was just there to block it. Salah just couldn't get enough power with his right foot to get it into the net before Rudiger was there to make that goal line clearance. So definitely you can see that Salah doesn't have that same clinical ability that he did last year, but I, I mean, I think I can. he can get it back, obviously. I mean, you can't just have a monster season like that and just, you know, lose it all. I mean, you can, but... <laughs> Obviously, the talent's there. It's not like he can't finish. we We know that he can. but the, if you if someone just watched this game, they they probably might maybe wouldn't believe that. Um, I thought overall, Liverpool's attack was obviously as they are, very fluid, a lot of overlapping, um, a lot of really good play by the fullbacks. I thought Robertson and Alexander Arnold um really played good roles. It's interesting to see they don't they don't overlap that much. I think that. Um, They definitely have important distributive roles. I think that they often kind of tuck in and become midfielders to support the fluidity of that front three. And actually, I think that ended up costing Liverpool for that first goal because Alexander Arnold was actually out of position a little bit when Hazard was able to make that streaking run down the field and finish it past Allison. So yes, I think that Robertson and Alexander Arnold's roles are important as kind of those playmaking fullbacks in certain situations, but it can leave them prone to counterattacks like that. And when Chelsea can spark that counterattack in two to three passes, which they can because they have some of the best midfielders in the world in Jorginho and Conte, who don't need time, they don't need space to play great balls, great through balls on counterattacks, just like that, you're going to get exposed. So I thought... Um, I actually just snapped on a podcast. I, that's really weird. <laughs> um, but regardless, I think that Chelsea and that midfield is just too good. Because not only are the is that midfield so good at playing long balls and through balls and so technical in Kovacic and Conte and Jorginho, but when you've got the pace of Willian and Hazard, it's... It's direct runs into the box all day. You know, you don't need to get it on the outside to Hazard and Willian and use Giroud as a target man, which, by the way, you can. You can. <laughs> Giroud's very good at that. He's a very good uh, header. He He's a clinical finisher. But they don't need to do that. They, they can they can have Willian and Hazard going straight down the line and get balls from Conte and Jorginho, and that happened several times throughout this game. So, um. I thought that uh, Chelsea's attack looked really good. Giroud understands his role at Chelsea, and sometimes that's to just create space for Willian and Hazard. Sometimes Willian and Hazard were definitely more the stars of the show. Giroud was able to kind of let that happen more nicely and understand that even though he's the striker, a lot of the scoring opportunities are coming from a little bit wider positions for the Brazilian and the Belgian. So, um, Yeah, and another thing I noticed from this game right away is that the distribution from these keepers is insane, and that is another reason why these two keepers are the most expensive ever. Allison and Kepa um, are just very, very good keepers, and they don't have many weaknesses. So, I mean, I, I was a Roma fan, and I watched Allison last year, and... It was easy to be drawn to him by his reflexes and shot-stopping ability. But no, this man can kick it upfield and find the perfect person. Just great distribution by Allison and Kepa in this game. And I thought I think that's really fun. I think that's really fun to see goalkeepers not just being this separate entity in the box, but part of the overall game. And I I um, totally understand why they're that expensive. So, um... I thought that uh Liverpool you know they did have more shots and possession but I don't really think that's indicative overall I thought a lot of the time the ball was in Liverpool's defensive half because Chelsea was either had the ball in that half or Liverpool wasn't able to sustain its possession in a in a deeper area or further further up the pitch so I thought um you know, if I had to pick a team that deserved the win, it would be Chelsea. But I mean, how can you say no to that that stirred strike? That how can you how can you say that Liverpool can't didn't deserve the draw because of that individual brilliance by the Englishman? And um, really, really cool game. I thought another another big chance that happened before the Liverpool goal was Zerdan Shakiri. Um, he just had an unmarked shot. Robertson makes a really good run and delivers a cross. Um, he was actually able to make this cross and run because of, as a uh, slipping as Pliqueta. I always just mess up the pronunciation of that. I'm not going to do it. Uh, <laughs> um, so Robertson plays a ball in, Shakiri gets an unmarked shot, it goes to his right foot, which is his weaker foot, and he just completely scuffs it. Probably the worst, worst individual moment of the game. Um, Liverpool could have tied it on earlier, but who knows, maybe the Sturridge shot wouldn't have happened if that hadn't happened. So, as a Liverpool fan, you can't really complain that much about the Shakiri miss. Um, because, I mean, you know, while that was a terrible individual moment, you had the best individual moment of the game in the Sturridge's goal. And Shikiri was on because Salah came off in the sixty sixth minute, and I kind of understand that. I think just Salah was just overall disappointing in this game, so that kind of made sense. And Shikiri is def- definitely an explosive player. Um, he's had he's been very streaky over his career. He's um, you know not been my, a personal favorite of mine. I thought I think he represents well internationally generally, but um, for for club he's definitely just been very inconsistent at a lot of different clubs he's been at. So. Um... Yeah, I mean, I, I don't mind that change. I mean, you've got Champions League coming up this week, so I I totally understand that. Um, I think a good change, actually, for Chelsea that came in the second half was Alvar- Alvaro Morata coming on for Olivier Giroud. I thought Morata... Um, just fits in more with the the attack. I think Giroud, like I said, did a good job of creating space. But Murata can be more involved on the counter in the ways that Hazard and Willian can be involved. So I think that, like, you know, I know Murata has had his moments where he wasn't able to score that much. I know that there's a lot of criticisms that can be made of him, but I think in terms of movement, it just makes a little more sense than Giroud, but... I I understand both of them. It's a luxury having both strikers, so I totally get it. Um. I think this game was just classic Premier League football, a lot of speed, a lot of just truly physical play, and I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> I think that this game had moments of individual brilliance and tactical brilliance. I thought that um, in terms of the tactical battle, Sari did probably win it over Klopp, but and I think especially it's especially impressive considering that Sari did I think for majority, the majority of the game outplay Klopp, but he also did that following another you know a different win against Liverpool at Anfield. So I think I think you have to excuse me for that, anyways. Um, you have to give it up to Sari because he had a really nice start. In the Premier League, and yeah, yeah, I talked about Ronaldo's controversy before. Um, yeah, Sari also has said some questionable stuff, but as a manager, he's done a good job. This team is is just very, very solid, um, and there's a, there's just a lot of things I like about them. I think, honestly. My least favorite part about this Chelsea team is definitely those two center backs. Now, I know David Luiz and Rudiger are athletic. They can play quick. They can play it out of the back pretty well. But, and, you know, they can they can help stop counters with their speed. But they are prone to having individual errors. And they're not the best defenders as defenders. So, I think, um, you know, they're... But, you know, I mean, it's hard to ask for the really athletic defenders also who... Can play out of the back, can make a surging runs forward, are really good on set pieces, and also just solid one-on-one defenders. You know, not everyone in the world is a Sergio Ramos or a Rafael Veron Um and even, you know, even players like Sergio Ramos have had their questionable moments of defending. So I mean, like, in the end, I understand going for those two guys. I just think that they're a little more liable than a lot of center backs, uh, even who have that kind of athleticism. So and especially for a team like Chelsea. So I think that the biggest transfer for this team was um, Jorginho. I think Jorginho, as, you know, either that number... I mean, you can call him a number six, you can call him a number eight, either way. He's just so good at dictating the tempo of the midfield. And um, it's just cool that, you know, Sarri and him came. Because I think that, obviously, Jorginho might not have come if it wasn't for Sari, And he's just doing a great job. Um, Liverpool... I'd I'd be a little bit I'd be a little bit disappointed um, if I'm a Liverpool fan after this game because I think that the front three just doesn't look quite as good as it did last year and I understand that you're not going to get that but particularly Salah I think that this game could have been over in the first half if it was last year's Liverpool I think that they could have put this game away and. You know, as much as I, you know, as much as I think that midfielders like Milner and Henderson are solid, I think I prefer Naby Keita, and I know he was brought on later in the game, and, um, but I think that he is just a very solid midfielder, very um, capable of winning the ball, and just being a team player, so, I mean, I know that he goes in for the occasional poor challenge and everything, but I think that he does do a lot of the little things right, so I like him a lot. And I think that—I um, know Klopp has said in the past that he doesn't like how weak he is tactically, which, um, you know, I can sort of understand, but also at the same time, I think that among the midfielders that you got there, he is a very—he's, uh, you know, the strongest or the second strongest there. So I think that um, when Aldom had a good showing— um, he was definitely very, very good in the attack, able to hold the ball up around the box while some of those attackers made runs. But um, overall, though, I mean, I think Chelsea won the midfield battle for large portions of the game. and uh, yeah, I, 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 I might have been I, I feel like I've been a little bit biased for Chelsea for some reason. I mean, I don't really have anything against either of these teams. My brother's an Everton fan, so he doesn't like Liverpool, so maybe that makes me not like Liverpool a little bit. But I also, I, I, I like this Chelsea team, and I like how they're really performing when ahead of the season a lot of people thought this was a two-horse race between Liverpool and City. So um, at this point in the season, I want to say that Chelsea finishes second, but I think when you're more reliant on tactics, and I th- like like Chelsea is right now, and I think like this midfield is working, like... I, I mean, obviously, they have a lot of individual talent, but I think that part of the reason they're clicking so well is because of Sari's tactics. So that is always one of those things where if you're figured out, you're figured out, and you could go through a rough spell. Whereas Liverpool, I think, like... I think that front three is just going to get goals sometimes, you know? And I think that... um, I think that they, even when... Things aren't going well for Liverpool. They can still pull out results, perhaps better than Chelsea can if they're if they're tactically outclassed. So, I really enjoyed this game for some reason. I just had really a lot of fun watching it, and um, I'm really excited to see what these team two teams do next. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to see how the last, rest of the Premier League pans out. So, the last game I want to talk about is. Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid played in the Bernabeu, it ended 0-0, there were no goals in this thing, no goals at all, Um, and I think that, you know what, like, you know how people say, like, oh, just because it's 0-0 doesn't mean that's a boring game, sometimes 0-0 games are the best games, yeah, I don't know if that's the case for this one. I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I don't think it was boring, really, but I think it was definitely just, there were stretches of the game, particularly in the second half, where just, like, nothing was happening, I feel like. It just really slowed down at certain points in the game. I think the real heroes of this game were the Real Madrid keeper, keeper Courtois, and the Atletico Madrid keeper, O'Block. I love Oblak, I don't know why. I, I think I love that his name is Block, or, like, has the word Block in it. and he's a keeper but yeah I think that they were some of the heroes there were a lot of point-blank saves in this game Uh, one of the big ones was in the 18th minute where Griezmann had a one-on-one on on the counter and Courtois just made a great save I was watching the the BN broadcast on this one even though uh that they lost rights with DirecTV I just found a stream don't tell anyone but it was yeah, Ray Hudson's call on this on the feed here on BN Sports was the big black octopus comes out and spreads his tentacles, Kama Sutra save by Courtois. So um, he was wearing black, so I think that's why he said big black octopus Courtois was, but I just thought that was a very weird and funny call. Always like Ray Hudson. Obviously, Phil Shane's a friend of the show, so um, we love them. We love, we love hearing them. Really exciting commentary, <laughs> but uh, just a bit weird that one was. Um, yeah, so there were a lot, there were a lot, there were a lot. Like, I, was, I think particularly Griezmann and Costa had two one-on-ones. I already talked about the Griezmann one. Costa also had a one-on-one. It was, it was a little more awkward, I think, for Costa. He, his touches were a little bit more slow, and he just didn't really get even the right angle on the shot. And then Asensio had a really big chance where he, on the counterattack, um, almost scored, but, uh, Oblak was there to save it. Um... I thought that the substitutions were really key in this game. In the second half, the start of the second half, the 46th minute, Danny Caballos came in for Bale. Now, Caballos is a central midfielder, and Bale is a winger. And when you start off in this 4-3-3 like Real Madrid's been playing for a while, when you take off a winger for a midfielder, you're essentially changing it into kind of what I saw it as was kind of maybe uh, a narrow 4-4-2. Not even a diamond, really, because Modric and Cruz, neither one of them, I thought, really took a playmaking responsibilities. Obviously, both of them are world-class midfielders who can playmake, but none of them... I didn't feel like either one of them was like, okay, I don't have defensive duties for the most part. I'm a 10. I'm a playmaker. So that was a really questionable change and I think really slowed down Real Madrid's attack. I thought... Bale had one of the biggest chances of the game in the first half. Um, On a free kick, he just sent a shot wide. That was, I think, might have been one of the biggest chances for Real Madrid of the half. So I was really surprised at that decision. And um, I don't know if Lopetegui wanted to do that or, you know, it was more of a kind of failure for the Real, for Real Madrid to play a diamond. Because I think you just kind of had four central midfielders and just kind of some disorganization. Yes, very talented players. Ceballos um, did a good job holding the ball up around the box, but you didn't have enough going forward with Benzema and Asensio. They needed another person, I think. And I understand the Bale was injured, but you have players on the bench to choose from, you know? You have Junior, you have Vasquez, you have these players, and you choose to bring out another central midfielder instead. And I don't know why. I mean, sure, like, maybe, like, defensively, there were benefits to that. But, I mean, was Real Madrid really playing to tie after coming off that 3-0 defeat against Sevilla the week before? Are they looking to tie? After seeing the Barcelona had drawn were they were they going into this game looking to sit back no i mean i, I just don't get this change it, it was it was the weirdest tactical decision i saw all day i think and um really cost real madrid i think a chance to win this one um another really big chance in the second half was um asensio had just a really really easy chance to finish it not easy per se but Definitely a chance for an unnecessary chance for Real Madrid to go ahead because basically what happened is Oblak kicked it right to Asensio after Oblak just received a back pass and then Asensio was just able to Like hit it one time and it was nearly a goal, but it went straight into Oblak's hands And I guess it wasn't nearly a goal because it went straight into his hands but from the perspective of you had a one-on-one and Obviously Oblak wasn't really prepared to be making a save at that point in time um Excuse, that, that was in the first half. Excuse me if I said that was in the second half. So, um, yeah, I think, but definitely the biggest I think saves in this game were by Courtois in those fr- in that first half against Costa and Griezmann. Um, you know, Oblak did have some nice saves, and I think that that ended up kind of being the narrative of this game: just two strong keepers hold down the Madrid derby, and arguably that's so. But I think th- I think that that's kind of getting away from a bit tactically with, you know, what was happening here. I think that you had chances uh, on both sides and that those were consciously made because of the tactics going in. And I think, um, obviously, Diego Simeone loves to run that 4 um, 4 Griezmann and Costa up top, you have Rodri and Saul in the midfield and Coke and Lamar, um on the outsides, and they are, you know, they're not wingers, they are midfielders, because even though Lemar is an explosive player, he does like to cut inside onto that left foot, score some goals, he was really explosive in the first half, I thought he he was really one of the best players throughout the game, but he did get subbed off for Anahal Correa, (laughs) and that's just like a, that's such a crazy substitution, two just really young, explosive players that I would, to be honest, love to have at Romo, it will never happen, but... <laughs> I don't know. That substitution was just kind of scary. Just showing, you know, how not Atletico Madrid not only has talent, but they're they're deep in talent. And, um, Koke, on the other side, obviously able to kind of, um, you know, play as a central midfielder. And oftentimes, you might even see Atletico Madrid playing three midfielders and then Lamar. Coming, becoming a right winger, Costa becoming a striker, Griezmann becoming a left winger. You see that sometimes, but I think for the most part, Koke and Lamar are just outside midfielders in the truest sense. They're players who do go up and down the wings, but they like to cut inside. They like to, you know, pass it back into Saul and Rodri and make plays happen. And we saw that a lot. Um, and I think that's, you know, part of the reason that I thought Atletico Madrid were the slightly better side in the first half. So, um yeah, I think that th- there was a lot more going on than just the keepers making big saves, but it was still just kind of a boring game in in parts. In parts. Um, Can we talk about how Atletico Madrid's back line is just so solid and it's been the same for so long? I mean, Felipe Luis, Godin, Jimenez, and Wan-Fran, great players. I mean, Wan-Fran last year was benched for Rosaligo, who's now at Inter Milan, but... Wow, just great players, and they all play for the team. They all seem like good guys. I don't know, just really like them. Um, Diego Costa for this Atletico Madrid side not getting off to the start he wants. I don't think he scored yet in, uh, since returning to Atletico Madrid. So um, I think that that's kind of worrisome. But you know, there is enough playmaking from Lemar and uh, Griezmann. You know, to not. To, to not be too worried about Diego Costa's woes. But I definitely, definitely think that Diego Costa is a good player. He's not a player I like. He's not a player that I think is um, classy. But I think that that Griezmann-Costa attack could be really lethal. I think if Griezmann and Torres can be lethal, I think Griezmann and Costa can be lethal. So um, I, I like what I'm seeing out of uh, Atletico Madrid tactically – Uh, Real Madrid has a more talented side, a more talented midfield, but they weren't able to get what they wanted today, and a lot of that is because of that second-half substitution that was made at the end. So, um, one last thing I guess I want to talk about is um, one of the substitutions that came at the end of the second half for Real Madrid, and that was Vinicius Jr. coming on for Benzema. He only played for like five minutes, but this kid looked so damn good. The Real Madrid youngster made decent runs. He had great skill on the ball. There's a play where he slips, but gets back up super quickly and still beats um, Angel Correa from Atletico Madrid. And Angel Correa is forced to foul him and pick up a yellow card. And uh, Correa had been subbed down, so he shouldn't have been getting a yellow card, um, you know, playing limited minutes. But Vinicius Jr., definitely, definitely a kid to look out for. He might need a loan. Honestly, I don't know if he's, you know, good enough to, you know, play in Champions League matches. He, he does have that slight bit of experience, but he's explosive as hell. And I think that, um, uh, yeah, I think a loan at a good club could do him really well. But I'm kind of a loan merchant. I, I think a lot of players need loans sometimes, and maybe that's just not the case. Um, I think particularly I look for loans in guys who show a lot on the pitch but definitely don't offer exactly what the team needs and that um and players who i just you know they obviously have the talent they just need they, they could better show it somewhere else but for example like i think patrick schick on roma he's a like a solid player you can see it in him and maybe some people would say, oh, you're better off selling him. Or, oh, you're better off just keep on playing him until he gets out of this goal-scoring drought." But no, I I don't know. For some reason, I, I think that alone would just do him really well. Now, I, I think in Roma's specific situation, I don't know if we have enough depth to support that. But I think that it's definitely something uh, worth to consider. So yeah, Atletico Madrid, Atletico Madrid Real Madrid, and zero zero. 0 In the derby, neither team able to capitalize off Barcelona's draw to Bilbao. And um, this game, I don't think Lopetegui or Simeone will be super happy, but it's not the worst thing in the world for either team either. Um, And I think it was definitely the dullest game that I watched out of three. So save the dullest for last, I guess, to talk about. But um, yeah. I I I still think it was better for Real Madrid, definitely, and I think they should be happy in comparison to the complete collapse they had last week versus Sevilla. But I wouldn't I wouldn't you know pin this down to Ronaldo or say that oh Ronaldo would have beaten Sevilla, Ronaldo would have beaten um, Atletico Madrid today because there's quality. I think Asensio is a great player, Benzema and Bale are great players. I think Bale getting uh, getting an emphasized role is really great. Bale, Bale's. A hell of a player, and it was easy to kind of forget about that with Ronaldo, but um, he's just uh, he's on another level, and even Benzema, he's just more, he's definitely more than you know supporting Cristiano Ronaldo, or you know, yeah, he's definitely more than that. The Frenchman can score and he can just play a really pivotal role in the attack. I think that he wasn't getting the kind of service that a lot of Real Madrid fans would want. He definitely got, like, some half chances, but the delivery was just never quite to the point where he was, like, he could get, like, a really open shot. And part of that is to the credit of Jimenez and Godin, who are just a great Uruguayan-Atletico Madrid pairing, who I really like. Also love O'Block, as I mentioned before. Atletico Madrid is just a really lovable team to watch. I would... Honestly, I would hope if they could sna- I would hope that they could snatch um, another title one of these years like they did in 2013, 2014. <laughs> but then you think about how crazy that storyline was, which like it felt so crazy back then, and then you just remember Lester from 15 to 16 and it's like, yeah, nothing will quite ever top that. Nothing will ever t- quite top Conte, <laughs> Vardy, Mafres, and Rainieri in that run. You know, it's kind of depressing, isn't it? Like the- nothing will ever pass that. It's okay though. We're- I I would still get really excited if Atletico Madrid won the title, honestly, and even if like I thought it was exciting to see uh, Monaco win the title um, recently. So I don't think that that actually is a bad thing at all. But in a way, it just it's like it's like it's it's annoying that no one will ever be able to mention Monaco winning the title over PSG or. Um, Atletico Madrid winning the title over Barcelona and Real Madrid without mentioning Leicester, you know, because that was just more impressive. But it's whatever. I mean, I, I love watching all of these storylines, especially when some of these leagues get top-heavy, like, uh, you know, Bayern Munich winning the title so many times in Germany, or Juventus winning the title so many times in Italy. I love to see change up. I love to see parity, um, which I know doesn't really... Exist in the truest sense in a lot of things. I think that the NFL has figured out in a way that I really like um, When you know, there are a couple teams that make the playoffs every year There are like dynasties like the Patriots and the 49ers in the 80s or whatever But at least you have, you know, you're never gonna win like three Super Bowls in a row Usually in this era or anything like that and different teams are in the mix every year this is just a big tangent, and I'm so sorry. It's been grating to listen to me talk about three games for around 45 minutes. Um, my brother should be back next week, so um, yeah, he definitely will be. So um, stay tuned for that. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, be sure to review and rate us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you're listening. Um, You can send us questions at SoccerBrothersPodcast at gmail.com. Our Twitter and Instagram handles are at SoccerBrothersPod. My Twitter is at ASR underscore Sahil, which is S-A-H-I-L, if you want to follow that. You don't have to. No pressure. And, um, yeah, we appreciate all the support and all the feedback. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time on Season 2, Episode 3 of the Soccer Brothers Podcast. Thank you so much.